Hello and welcome to the Doxology Podcast. I am Jens Nelson. And I am Lucas Stock. And this is a podcast dedicated to journeying together on the road that is the Christian faith. Thank you for joining us as we discuss and investigate theology and the Christian life as we strive for unity amongst our diversity as members of Christ's church. So Lucas, before we jump into today's episode, we want to give a huge thank you to all of our listeners, all of our followers, all the people that share and like and comment, uh, because July, uh, July 2021, was our best month yet by over, well, just under 100 downloads, which uh, is a pretty significant thing. We we enjoy looking at, you know, our, our monthly f- listeners and uh, the, the growth that we've seen. I mean, there are some months where the growth is just like literally f- three or four downloads over the month before, but um, we've never had like a significant drop off. So that means that people are, are interested, that you're, you're still coming back to listen to us. And so uh, we just wanted to say thank you. And as part of that, if you've already seen on our social media, we're, we're running a giveaway for two copies of uh, Athanasius's On the Incarnation. And that giveaway technically ends today. If you're listening to this episode, the day that it comes out, which is Tuesday, the giveaway ends today. So make sure if you haven't uh, seen that, go find the uh, the giveaway post and, and follow the rules and get yourself entered to win one copy. So again, we wanted to give uh, our... our sincerest thank yous and our our appreciation for uh listening to our little podcast here so uh, without any further ado let's jump into this episode and it's it's sort of a companion episode Uh, a couple weeks ago now we we did an episode on predestination uh sort of generally we talked about free will um stuff pertaining bless you I don't know if that was even on the mic, but bless you, No, I muted the mic to try and not disrupt (laughs) us, but oh well. Well, I'm still blessing you, my child, so. Thank you. Anyway, yeah, we had an episode on on predestination, and so we had some people express some interest in hearing an extended version of that conversation, specifically as it pertains to salvation. Like, how does God work out salvation? How is it predetermined? What, What does the Bible have to say? Um, so we're going to talk about that. We're, we're certainly not going to figure it all out. We're not going to be the definitive uh, deciding factors, the, the deciding people to, to find out what predestination and reprobation and election and all these things actually mean. As much as we just want to have a conversation about predestination, we want to look at some biblical texts. We want to look at um, some definitions, some quotes from uh, you know Christians throughout church history who have really wrestled with this doctrine. And... Uh, Part of this is because, like, I literally yesterday saw a Twitter thread uh, where the the conversation of predestination was on the table, and a couple of people in the comment chain were saying like, predestination is unbiblical, it's not true, it's false teaching, and I was like, well, maybe a certain version of it is, maybe we can say that, but the fact of the matter is, is that this idea does come up in scripture. Uh, our English translations have the word predestined and predestination and election. Like these words appear. Um, so it's not correct to say that it's unbiblical uh, because it certainly is in the Bible. So what we need to do is figure out what that teaching means. We need to be uh, careful with our definitions, with our words, um, and with our discourse because we can't just throw away something that the Bible does teach, that the Bible does talk about, but we need to theologically wrestle with what that teaching is and how that works in uh, in the world. So uh, without any further ado, Lucas, before we read some scripture, is there anything you wanted to say at the outset? No, I just think that this is something we've been doing. This isn't 
hasn't been a series, but between that predestination episode, the episodes on heaven and hell, we've been talking a lot fairly recently about taking a an open-minded, you know, humble look at things that are maybe confusing or challenging or are maybe come with some baggage, we could say, in terms of what we think certain words or terms or ideas or doctrines mean or what they what they imply. And I think that it's it's really helpful to um, not throw out what we think we know or what we believe, but to to be willing to to openly take a look at making sure that what we say we mean or what we think we mean when we say certain things matches up with um, what's real and what's true and what what is written in scripture. So I think that this is another kind of continuation of that exercise that that we've been doing on a few different topics. And one thing I, I will say, I, I can't remember if, if this came up um, in our previous episode on predestination or, or maybe in another episode, but um, one of the things that uh, a professor at Moody said that has stuck with me like, like most vividly um, was this idea that um, in the Bible, there we can think of the Bible holding up in one hand the sovereignty of God, the authority, the the um, you know all powerful nature of God, be as it relates to to human choices and humans' um, lives and things like that, and salvation, as we'll talk about and see. And then on the other hand, human responsibility and freedom and will and volition and all that, all of that. And we see both of these things, you know, there's one in one hand and, and the other's in the other hand, right? And sometimes we're reading a verse or a chapter or a story, and the Bible seems to be sort of like lifting up, you know, God's sovereignty, we could say. And, and it's kind of like that's being lifted high in front of the reader's attention, and the hand that's holding human freedom is kind of, you know, like behind its back. And sometimes it's the opposite, and it seems like, oh, well, what it's saying here, you know, doesn't really make sense with respect to anything to do with God having any sort of sovereign power over humans' choices because look at what it says da, 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 about, you know, human freedom or whatever. And I, I don't, you know, I would argue sometimes they're both also kind of lifted up at the same time to yeah. the same uh, prominence. But I, I have always found, you know, and I will say this was a professor with whom I disagreed quite a bit about with respect to these issues, especially at the time. No, this was Dr. Van Lanningham. Actually. Oh, interesting. It was, it was, you were with me. It was in Romans that okay. I first heard him say this. Yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, I, I mean, not, not that Dr. Peterman and others wouldn't agree necessarily. No, I, or, I just remember something yeah. very similar from Peterman. That's why I was wondering. Yeah, yeah not surprised. Um, <laughs> but, but like, um, I think it's a really helpful uh, metaphor. I, mean, I don't know if it's a metaphor. It's a very helpful image to me mm. because what he's what he's saying is from the outset we need to recognize and this kind of goes hand in hand with what you were just saying we have to recognize that the the what is happening in the bible in order to ask the right questions we have, we have to recognize what's happening in order to ask the right questions in order to understand what's happening and what's happening in the bible is that we are being taught certain truths about human choices with relation to human freedom and responsibility in relation to God's freedom and, and sovereignty and, um, you know, infinite, all-powerful, all-knowingness and all of that stuff. And the question is not whether or not God elects or predestines or whether or not humans choose. The question is, what does it mean to say that those things? What does it mean to say that um, 
I am an, a moral agent who is free to make certain choices. And I am bound, and my will is bound, and God is the free, sovereign being who, who uh, does elect and, and predestine um, in salvation. You know what I mean? These are, these are all biblical ideas, and that's what we're trying to do is, I think, approach it with that question. Like, we're trying to think through what the actual texts show us in order to ask the right questions of what does that mean in my life? What does that mean in um, the way that I interpret the rest of Scripture when I see, uh, you know, humans being held responsible and making choices and sinning and, and or doing good and all that stuff? And I think that that is a helpful image to keep in mind as we as we jump into these texts. Um, and even to, uh, afterwards, as we look at what some important theologians have, have said about this issue in, in history— to see maybe how they're balancing these questions. And maybe maybe we don't think they did a good job, or maybe we think they got it right, you know. Um, but but I think that's a helpful picture to keep in mind. Of, of their, these, these are two truths that are not actually mutually exclusive, and, and we don't have to pick which one we think the Bible is teaching. We have to look at how does the Bible hold these two things in tension, because they are both realities in the text itself. Whatever we want to say about that, that's how we need to start because that's what's there, I think. Yeah, for sure. And that, that that's a very good segue, I think, even because some of the texts that we're going to read today are going to show that that tension, that that God's being sovereign, man having responsibility. So we're, we're going to see some of that. So let's uh, let's jump into some of these biblical texts, starting with Ephesians 1. I think this is a text that you and I have read quite frequently. It might have even now passed Colossians 1 as our one of our most read texts. But uh, in verse 3, it says, Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished upon us in his uh, in the beloved one. Uh, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to the good pleasure that he purposed in Christ as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on the earth in him. In him we have also received an inheritance, because we were predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will, so that we who had already put our hope in Christ might might bring praise to his glory. And that's the verse 12, that's the end of that little section. So that was Ephesians 1, 3 through 12. So already in this one passage, Paul has used the word predestined twice. Uh, we've seen uh, wisdom and understanding, the mystery of his will, uh, a plan for the right time to bring everything together, um, the one who works everything out in agreement with the purpose of his will. And I should have mentioned this is the, the Christian Standard Bible, the CSB translation that I'll be reading from. But um, already we're seeing these words here. I mean, we were predestined according to the plan. That's very specific language. That's uh, that's over in verse uh, 11. Uh, up in verse 5, he predestined us to be adopted as sons. 
So again, the word predestined is showing up. So let's let's continue on. Let's go to Romans 8. This is much shorter. This is 28 through 30. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the uh, that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those who he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. So that's another passage that we mention pretty frequently. Uh, one that we sometimes say is can be a band a band aid where God works all things together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. Um, sometimes we throw that out sort of as like a catch all, like, well, you know, we're sorry you're going through a hard time, but God's going to use it for good. Um, while we shouldn't just use that as a you know a quick fix or a band aid. The fact of the matter is that it is true. It's true that God works all things together for good for those that are called according to his purpose. Um, and that, that means something. And it, it goes on to say that he, you know, he for those that he foreknew, he also predestined to be like his son, uh, to be brothers and sisters, sons and daughters. And then there's that golden chain uh, of redemption that comes up from time to time. We mentioned it in our tulip episode uh, but those that he predestined, he called. Those that he called, he justified. Those that he justified are glorified. Um, so this this golden, this, this chain of redemption. As someone is predestined, that they're, they're foreknown, and God calls them. As he calls them, he justifies them. And then once they're justified, someday will be glorified. Um, and then the last text that we'll read in this segment will be Acts 13. And this is 45 through 48. And this is, I believe, Paul and Barnabas. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what Paul was saying, insulting him. Paul and Barnabas boldly replied, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first, since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. We are turning to the Gentiles. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they rejoiced and honored the word of the Lord, and all who had been appointed to eternal life believed. So that idea that all who had been appointed or predestined or foreknown um, to eternal life believed. Um, so let's let's just kind of give a definition here. Um, this actually comes from a, a Ligonier article, but uh, R.C. Sproul defines predestination as uh, predestination is part of God's decree, his eternal purpose in which he has decided all that will take place, ordaining everything for the manifestation of his glory. So that's one possible definition of, of predestination. Um, Lucas, do you have any any further things you'd want to say on what predestin pre predestination is or might be? No, I mean, I think we we gave a lot more time to looking at it in our episode from a few weeks back, which so I think like if, if you missed that one and you're maybe a little more interested in exploring as far as like a definition and a, and a more broader view of the idea itself, I think that would probably be a, a good place to go. Cool. Yeah. Agreed. I, I, I think that is a, a good place to turn. So um, <clears throat> yeah. So understanding what we've just read from scripture, understanding, you know, Ephesians, Romans, Acts. I mean, there's a dozen other, texts that you could go to if you wanted to read about this. Um, but like we've said countless times, like there are a lot of things that scripture teaches that are sort of like inferred from the entire scope of scripture. As we read from Genesis to Revelation, like 
obviously the word Trinity doesn't appear, as we always say, but the idea of who the Trinity is is almost on every page. And similarly, even though the word predestination or predestined or election or whatever, even if these words don't appear as they do in these texts, the, the fact of the matter is that God is working in and through his people. God uses means to accomplish his ends. Um, so in Genesis, in Judges, in Ruth, uh, think about a book like Esther, for example. Like a book like Esther has no direct message or direct reference to God. It's almost as though God is silent. Uh, but we know because of what happens in the story of Esther that God is certainly working. That God used Esther in a certain place at a certain time for a certain purpose to accomplish his will. To ensure that his people were not destroyed. Um, and very similarly, God has been working in and through people, in and through means throughout all of human history. Um, and so we, we how, how do we understand that? How do we, how do we wrestle with this idea of humans having responsibility as being moral agents, as having a will, not necessarily a free and unhindered will, but a, a will to choose, a will to act, and a God who is sovereign, who knows all things, who is working... Um, you know, sort of behind the scenes, but also very prominently. And so maybe what now is a good time to turn to some of these theologians from, from church history. And so I think I'll first read this quote from Calvin, and then if you want to offer up some of the quotes that you have. But um, I, I, I think it's fair to say that often this idea of predestination is almost incorrectly applied to as something that Calvin is like, the creator of, as though Calvin were the one who invented this idea of predestination, but um, this is what he had to say. This great subject is not, as many imagine, a mere thorny and noisy disputation, nor speculation which wearies the minds of men without any profit, but a solid discussion eminently adapted to the service of the godly, because it builds us up in sound faith, trains us to humility, and lifts us up into an admiration of the unbounded goodness of God towards us, while it elevates to praise his goodness in our highest strains. So that's one thing that, that Calvin had to say about this idea of, of predestination, that this, this great subject, like many think, is not some sort of um, complex equation that needs to figure out. It's not just um, you know dry, boring, stuffy theology. It's not mere speculation. Uh, but it's a discussion. It's a, it's a, it's a reasoning with Scripture to um, build us up in sound faith. Meaning, again, Scripture talks about it, so let's understand what it really is. Let's let's build a sound faith. Let's be trained for humility because this teaching isn't one that is meant to make us haughty or boastful, but it's one that gives us humility, um, and it also lifts us up into an admiration of the unbounded goodness, the amazing grace of God towards us, and it elevates us to praise that goodness. So that is what predestination ought to do. That's what one thing that Calvin had to say on it. So I'd love to hear what else has been said throughout church history. What do you have, Lucas? Yeah, well, we'll start with, with something else where, where Calvin is talking a little bit more about like what's going on. Um, so he says that God, by his eternal goodwill, which has no cause outside itself, destined those whom he pleased to salvation, rejecting the rest. Those whom he dignified by gratuitous adoption, he illumined by his spirit so that they received the life offered in Christ. 
while others voluntarily disbelieve so that they may remain in darkness, destitute of the light of faith. Um, so a couple of things are going on here. So first of all, we have this, this emphasis on God's will, like we kind of saw, um, and we have emphasis on his good will specifically. Um, this is the, the posture that classically, the, especially the reformed tradition emphasizes, right? Is, is the, 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 the response is not like you said, any kind of, uh, pride or haughtiness or any kind of me centered anything, but it's, it's humility and it's gratefulness and it's love towards the unmerited favor, the, the grace that God gives to us, right? Um, gratuitous adoption, Calvin says here. Um, so that's what's going on here. If you have, and you know, I think of Ephesians, is it two? Um, maybe it's Galatians. Shoot. Um, the faith is a gift so that no man may boast, right? Um, it, it, the idea of our salvation coming from us, from something we do, even even believing, that's not what saves us. God saves us um, by his eternal goodwill from within himself in eternity past. God has has chosen us in Christ, right? Like, like Ephesians is just dripping with this stuff like we've already established. Um, but another thing that I wanted to highlight is, and, and this is especially true of um, John Calvin himself, um, but there's this... You know, we we did a whole episode on Tulip, the idea of limited atonement. We did a whole episode on limited atonement. You, like, it, it's no secret that, that I, I quite uh, uh, vehemently reject that doctrine. Um, but here, he's, he's he, Calvin is, is highlighting exactly why. So others voluntarily disbelieve so that they remain in darkness, destitute of the light of faith. The source of the light of faith is God. However, the source of darkness is 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 us is our is our will and this is especially clear when we look at biblical examples of of what's going on we look at what happened in the garden right we look at what happens in judges this cycle of darkness and sin and rejection of god and idolatry everyone doing what is right in their own eyes rather than looking to um to god and his his law to to guide them and and to to uh you know show them how they ought to live, right? And so this is an important thing to keep in mind is, is that there, there's a certain asymmetry that's going on. My choices to, to sin or to turn to God are not things that I engage in in the same way because ultimately I am trapped without the light of faith due to my sinful nature. Um, but that doesn't mean that I don't choose to sin. That doesn't mean that I don't uh, in my actual will, freely reject that which is good. Think of Romans 1, right? No one is righteous. No one is, is not even one. I think that's actually Romans 3. But Romans 1, we, we are rejecting the, the revelation of God that, that we have all around us, even before we hear the actual preaching of the gospel. Um, but once we do hear the preaching of the gospel, thanks be to God, it's not up to us because we don't save ourselves. The Spirit moving through the word, which is efficacious and does not return to God void, that, that, is, that is what initiates the, the, um, the salvation process, right? Which has been going on since before eternity in Christ. Um, and this, going back in time, this is um, not 
like you said, it's not something that Calvin invented, and it's and it's definitely not an, it, something that Calvin changed significantly as as really just an inheritor of the Western theological tradition. So go so if we go back, and th- these are all going to be very brief overviews into these various thinkers that I mentioned. I'm going to mention three more people, and I would I would highly recommend just diving more into their writings um, to get a bigger idea of, of what's going on. Um, because I, I'm just, I'm just in preparing for this, I just barely scratched the surface of, of, of what's going on. So that's all I'm sharing. But if we go back to um, Augustine and, and, and also um, just the whole Augustinian tradition that follows after him, um, we, we see a very similar uh, articulation to what we just sort of read from Calvin. Um, basically, in this Augustinian mode of thinking, God knows from eternity past, who is elect, those who are chosen in Christ for salvation, as well as those who are reprobate, which here we can just kind of think of as meaning those who are not chosen for, for salvation, right? Salvation is purely based on that free election from God, not our own merits, and also not our own demerits, right? Like, the point is, whatever we do or whoever we are has nothing to do with God's choice of us doesn't matter how good or bad we are. Um, what matters is that God made a free choice. And um, a- as this tradition developed, particularly in the medieval church, um, we started to see what what does it mean then, if, if God freely elected everybody who's who's going to be saved, what does it mean to 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 look at the ways in which different people have different experiences. Some, some people believe and some people don't. So what does that mean? And so that asymmetry that I was just talking about, salvation is only attained by God's grace and damnation is only attained by the culpable rejection of God's grace. Um, there's a, I, I believe it's, uh, what am I thinking of? I think it was in, in the, the, the Orthodox Way by Bishop Callistos Ware. Um, and I don't, can't remember if he's quoting C.S. Lewis or just alluding to C.S. Lewis, but he says something about hell being locked from the inside, right? Um, I, the only way that I am separated from God for all eternity is by me rejecting God's invitation that to, to be saved. Um, we, we see that all throughout the New Testament of, of Christ. Christ is the Savior of the world. He loved God so loved the world. He sent His only begotten Son. That whoever would believe, this is the, this is an invitation. Christ draws all men to Himself on the cross. He says, um, "What what happens is uh, we as sinners reject that grace, and as a result, we have separated ourselves from Him." Right, and so as this Western Augustinian tradition continues, we have Saint Thomas Aquinas comes comes in, and in his Summa Theologiae, we have a few. Um, comments that I think are worth reading um, or, or summarizing uh, in respect to these questions of, of predestination and free will. So in question in part one, question 23, articles one and three are, are really relevant. So article one talks about God predestining. And basically Thomas says that God does in fact predestine, which is a part of his prov- providence. So he uses this, this picture like an arrow that's being fired by an archer. Things that are incapable of nature or incapable by their nature of reaching their, design, the, the, their end, like their purpose, 
require something else or someone else to act on them to reach that end. So the purpose of an arrow is to hit a target. But the arrow on its own, by its nature, cannot fulfill that purpose. It, it, it doesn't shoot itself, right? It needs an archer to come along and fire it at the target so that it can hit the target and fulfill its purpose. So by nature, humanity can't reach the end, the purpose of eternal life, which is our purpose and it is our end to behold God and, and to be united with him. But by our nature, by virtue of, of being sinners and, and uh, existing in a fallen a fallen nature, we can't, uh, we can't attain that end. So God needs to be the one to come along and, and, uh, work that end in and through and for us. So a rational creature is led quote unquote to eternal life by God. Um, and why God is leading that rational creature to their end of eternal life is, is it, it, the predestination part is that in the mind of God, from our perspective, he's he's already created as the eternal, all-powerful, all-knowing being. That's not you know a new thing, right? That his his action in our in our in our life, in our heart, in our spirit um, is something that has always you know we can speak of as is before time it existed in in the mind of God. So that that's the predestination part, and that's part of his his overall providence, like I said. Um, and then Article Three of Question Twenty Three is is about reprobation, and and Thomas says God does also reprobate some people, uh, and he kind of explains this in, in a way that I think is important. Um, that means that in His providence, again, He permits those who are not ordained to eternal life to choose to turn away into sin. So once again, um, God is permitting some people to act in accordance with their wills. So this, what this is not answering is the question of, so what's the difference between that person who is predestined to, um, to life by God's providence versus that person who is reprobate or allowed to continue how they already are by God? That's not what the, the, the that question is not answered here. And that is a, a um, certainly an emotionally charged question in, in many cases and for many people. Um, and it's a cha an emotionally challenging question, and, and it, it definitely, um, I, I'm not downplaying that, but I am pointing out that that question, you're probably, as you're listening to this, you're probably thinking about that question, um, and it's not answered. It's not going to be answered here. Thomas doesn't answer it in, in, in that way here. Um, but what I wanted to highlight is that, that why this person is, is predestined to life and this person is not we may not really be able to answer that question, but what, what we can answer is God has predestined this person over here to life, but by not predestining another person, he hasn't forced them into something that they don't already uh, choose because the choice of us in our fallen wills is to reject God, and that's a free choice. Um, the reason we choose that and cannot choose life goes back to our sin being our sin binding our nature um, and limiting what, what we're able to do. Um, so jumping ahead in the Summa in part one, question 83 in article one, it's about free will. And Thomas says, the fact that we are rational beings necessitates that we have free will. And this free will that we have presupposes the grace of God to achieve what it aims to do. However, the fact that we 
you know, look at several options before us and can rationally judge, oh, you know, I should do this or I shouldn't do that or I should, you know, if we're trying to solve a problem, we're able to use our reason to do that. That is a free act. So that would go back to this idea of it's not that we're not free moral beings who are reasonable, who have a, a mind and are able to to will things, right? We're not like a little insect that just responds to external stimuli automatically uh, just by instinct, right? We have a rational faculty that can that can make uh, thoughtful judgments based on, on many different things, not just, you know, responding to stimuli. But what we're able to do with that rational faculty is limited when we, when we are not uh, considering the grace of God, right? So what we're able to do to choose to serve God presupposes that God has given us, the, has given us grace. And that's sort of this, this um, I, I, I think, very helpful um, definition of free will that, that Thomas is giving us. Of course we're free because we're rational beings. But that's not to say that we're autonomous beings where we can just freely choose to do anything and everything that we may or may not want to accomplish at any given time, right? Um, the, the sort of silly example I remember my youth pastor telling me in high school is like, well, you don't have the free will to go jump off a cliff and fly. Like, you have certain limits by your nature. And, and that, that's very obvious to us when we look at, like, the physical world. But it's less obvious to us when we look at the spiritual world and we think about these questions. But I think that there is an analogy there. Um, if we think about a, a, a person under their own autonomous free will choosing to, to respond to God without any grace from God, that's similar to saying, I'm going to go jump off a bridge um, and start flying because I just will it. it it's, it's simply not possible. Right. There, there, there are just certain characteristics of the human being that preclude that from happening, whether they want it or not, no matter how much they believe that that their will is going to make that happen or not. Right. Um, so I think that's similar to what what Thomas is talking about. Um, and then we've already talked about Calvin. I'm going to zoom ahead for a super brief view of Bart. Karl Bart offers a very intriguing. Complex, you know nuanced, complex, confusing maybe, depends on who you ask, I guess, analysis of election that is, um, the, the reason I bring it up is is not really to get into the weeds of it because it's it's super, um, I, like, I don't quite understand all the moves he's making, more so just to highlight the, the different ways that this question has been explored throughout, throughout history. We, mm. We've got... But in August, in Augustine, Thomas, and Calvin, we've got a lot of similarities, and that's part of why I chose those three to highlight. Is they're they're doing different things, they're in different historical contexts, but they're all working in this same tradition hmm. that um, you know the Western Church, especially, has really inherited. Um, and Bart is a Reformed theologian, and, and so so he's he he's definitely an example of of an heir of this tradition. But he is doing things that are that are different. Um, so he talks about election. Um, primarily in Christological terms. So Jesus Christ is the elect one of God. And he gets this from Ephesians 1, which we read earlier. Um, go back and, and either read or, or listen to Jen's reading at the beginning. Try and count how many times Paul says, in him, referring yeah, to Christ. It's a lot. Um, 
if if you're if you're listening for it it's like crazy <laughs> it's constant because it, everything that that he's saying god has done or or is doing or whatever you want to say um i i haven't done this but but i think every individual action that paul is describing is tied back to being in christ um in him um but referring to christ um so jesus is the the one who is elect God elects all of humanity in Jesus Christ um, because Jesus Christ is the true human. He is the perfect human. He, he, is, he is the divine person who took on a true human nature and then truly um, actively obeyed the law perfectly as well as willingly gave, gave that human life up for um, a sacrifice for the sins of the world. However, also... Christ is the reprobate one because he suffers the abandonment on the cross that is the that is the result of humanity's sins, right? The father turns his face away, right? And and whatever we want to say that means, uh, we, we are, we do see that happen uh, at the crucifixion, right? Um, so in Christ, we have this, this election of God to life and to death. And, and it is only on the basis of Christ that humanity is is elect, that people are are predestined, and, and it's um, it's on the basis of Christ that salvation hangs. So it makes a lot of sense to tie election, which is part of the process of salvation in some sense, on Christ as well. Which is what I really appreciate about Bart in general. The little bit that I've been exposed to is is it's very Christocentric. Um, which I think is a good thing. I don't know quite if all the ins and outs of this view of election square with all of the time, the 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 the, um, the scriptural evidence. Um, that's that's something for much more intelligent people to answer than me. But I did want to bring Bart up, even if it's a very like sketchy outline, um, because he is so unique compared to those other figures that we've talked about. So there's there's a bajillion other people we could have brought up, and and there's 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 a seemingly infinite amount of other things we could be exploring. But I think, um, in relation to the question of salvation, you know, kind of moving on from that first predestination episode we did, I think this gives a a a good starting point to, to take a look at this, the way that this question or these questions have been answered um, with different nuances by different people throughout church history, um, at least in one stream. Um, but, but yeah, I think, I, I, I think it's helpful to, to look at those things and to, and the, the most important takeaway I think is this, the, the idea of what is, what is happening is God's gracious, gratuitous act of love in Christ, as Ephesians says, um, that is what brings salvation to people and, that has to be our focus because um, otherwise we're going to lose, I think, the glory of God's grace, really, in respect mm. to salvation. Um, and, and ultimately, I think that's what election is doing. Calvin talks about it being this this encouragement to building us up in our faith, and and that's what it is 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 that it's building us up because it's it's a it's an assurance that 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 God is the one who's got us. It's not dependent on us to decide whether or not we're um, gonna make it to heaven you know what I mean um, which is 
which is uh, I think I think what's what really shines through in in passages like Ephesians one. So that's where I think I'll call it in terms nice. of sort of ex- explorations. Um, it feels very incomplete because it is, but um, I do think it's a helpful introduction. Yeah, I mean we're talking about a infinite God who has known all things before even the world was found had a foundation so i mean we're, we're looking into in one respect the mind of god itself but uh, i think the last thing that i'll say here before we close is that predestination is not merely or simply a topic for discussion and debate amongst you know curious bible college students or seminary students like i, I feel like i remember countless times sitting up late in the dorm like common area just like debating these sorts of things but um, predestination, like you said, it tells us much about the character and the the nature of God, uh, the, the character and, and nature of his son. I mean, we learn about his unfolding plan for humanity that was set in place before the foundation of the world and has been played out in history ever since. I mean, all the things that, you know, like that, that text that we read last time when we talked about predestination where um, sinful, lawless men crucified Christ, they did that. But that was the foreknown plan of God since before the foundation of the world. Um, you know, we also learn about God's grace, his love for sinners, his compassion towards humanity, the fact that he hasn't left us. He hasn't uh, left us to our own devices, but that he's near, that he's imminent, that he uh, is drawing sinners to himself. So far from depriving human choices and actions of all significance, like we're not talking about fatalism. We're not talking about determinism. Um, human choices and actions are actually infused with eternal meaning because of predestination. And um, this is one of those texts, um, I forgot to give the exact citation, so just look up these words. I forget if it's like First or Second Peter or whatever, or I guess it's Paul. Paul calls believers um, to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So Paul says, work this out, do something, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And then the next verse, he says, for it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. So like in the same breath, Paul says, do something that is of your own volition at the same time for because God is working in you. So like it's that that tension again, that that both and where we have a responsibility, God has um a sovereign watch over all things and he's working things out according to his good pleasure so rest in that tension um live in that in between this this uncomfortable middle whatever you want to call it uh, but understand that that god is good that he is close that he is near um and that he that he loves us and we can live in that. And maybe we don't need to know all the answers. Maybe we don't need to know how predestination works as long as we rest in the fact that uh, we are secure in Christ, that he is um, you know, working in the, the good and the bad, um, and that in the end, all things will be made new, like we said in another episode recently. We're, we're awaiting that eternal, um, perfect Jerusalem where we will live with our creator where we are where we will live with our redeemer forevermore so um, that's all i have to say so why don't we wrap this up yeah so we're talking about how god interacts with with our freedom and salvation uh you okay there bud i literally like muted my mic and then took a lean back in my chair and i almost like 
somehow I got out of it, but my chair fell backwards. So that was, <laughs> you sneezed to intro the episode and I almost collapsed to, to end it. So yeah, I'm just glad that neither were caught on mic because I was also yeah. muted. <laughs> yeah. And I'm glad that, that oh, these, dear these are both predestined in the great providence right. of God. So yeah. in light of God's grand providence and uh, inscrutable mind as, as the eternal God, I think we should, we should, we should be, as Calvin says, built up in our faith and and so i'm going to pray this prayer from the 2019 bcp for a spirit of evangelism almighty god our savior you desire that none should perish and you have taught us through your son that there is great joy in heaven over every sinner who repents grant that our hearts may ache for a lost and broken world may your holy spirit work through our words deeds and prayers that the lost may be found and the dead made alive and that all your redeemed may rejoice around your throne through christ our lord amen so as we wrap up, thanks for tuning in. We, we really appreciate it. Uh, reiterate a big shout out to everyone who has ever listened as we um, are very excited to get to share these episodes with you and really appreciate your support. Along uh, the lines of support, we have a Teespring store with some designs that you can order. Um, unfortunately, there's no mustard color apparently, but... Um, uh, Feel free to follow the, the links to that in our social media bios. That's that's at Doxology Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Um, it's a good place to connect with us. It's also the best place to find links to our uh, t-shirt store. So feel free to support us if you would like in, in that way. Um, this is just sort of a, a cool thing that we, you know, I don't think ever really necessarily thought we'd have, you know, a thing that we make t-shirts for um but we do which is pretty wild and pretty awesome and um i think they're really cool and i'm really excited about it and if you'd like to support us uh you know kind of above and beyond that's a that's a cool way plus you get a, a t-shirt out of it so it's not you know it's, it's, it's a fair deal um but as i said before connect with us on social media uh or email doxologypodcast at gmail we'd love to connect with you and talk about uh, today's episode answer any questions uh get get feedback in general as well as ideas for future episodes we love chatting we love all of you uh, and until next time we'll see you